0: Causeway Street Podcast I'm your host, Joseph Pavone Joel Pavone Mr. Sean Dutra Hey, this is Leon Poe, man. You're listening to Causeway Street Podcast What's
1: up, y'all? This is Kitty Anderson Hi, this is Tyler Zeller from the Boston Celtics hey, Y'all listen to the Causeway Street Podcast
0: all you new listeners out there. I'm your host Joseph Pavone. I'm joined as usual by my two co-hosts.
1: I'm Sean Dutra. What's up? So, yeah, like, yeah, talk long about walks yourself. Walks on the beach
0: There you go. Joel Pavone. What up? I'm a Pisces. <laughs> It leads off with that. The most romantic sign in all of Zodiac. Oh, you couldn't tell by my voice already. Oh, sexy. I'm the producer of this ensemble that we call Causeway Street. In case you missed it. Hey, Bill Walton here, Celtics 1986. You're listening to the Causeway Street Podcast. Yeah, come here
1: for nothing but the truth. This is where dreams come true. Thank you, Boston, for my life.
0: Where are we going? You guys are such homers.
1: It's your boy, Terry Rozier. You're listening to the Causeway Street Podcast. Now listen to my boys Joe, Sway, Joel, and Sean. Can walk us through that uh, final game-winning shot by Bradley. supposed to be a... Uh you know,
0: into the body. Uh, you know, he got us a little separation there and he got open. Um, you know, I hope we got a good screen on T-Top. Uh, it was wide open. Uh, you know, bounced on the for a little bit. And uh, got a game winner. Uh, we got a slice of some humble pie. So, um, you got a lot to learn going forward. Um, but they hit us in the mouth and now it's our job to get back.
1: I uh, mean, a lot of things went wrong. You know, they
0: like moved the ball like Double T said, 28 assists, and um, you know they kept us, you know, at bay. You know, we couldn't get stopped, so we couldn't get out and transition a lot. And uh, those guys made, I mean, they made plays.
1: Um, they got some second chance points. You know, they we only had two fast break points, so you know they, they neutralized what we wanted to do.
0: One of the good things about this team, we're able to believe
1: whatever, believe in whatever Brad draws up. Um, you know, if, if it's good play, bad play, whatever it is, we all believe in it and. I think that always helps because you're able to just read and react after that. Really, just coming in is, you know, I just kept
0: telling myself, you know, we, you have nothing to lose. Just go out there and play, you know. Um, you know, you've been working hard uh, throughout this whole year on your game. Just let it, let, just let it flow and let it show.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's been the story of our season, man. Nobody really believed in us, and, you know, we just kept fighting, and, you know, losing those two at home hurt, and, you know, we wanted to come here and and show that that we can play, and, uh, you know, it felt good to get that win tonight, and, uh, yeah.
0: After getting blown out of the TD Garden on Friday night in Game 2 by 44 points, the Celtics, without Isaiah Thomas, come back from 21 points down at Quicken Loans Arena to extend their season after a game winning 3 by Avery Bradley to shock the basketball world with the 111 to 108 win in game 3 and the Celtics stay alive and they they are coming back to Boston depending it doesn't matter what happens in game 4 but they extend their season at least for the next few days at least to the end of the week after a Brilliant performance in the second half after Marcus Smart going off, starting in the place of Isaiah Thomas, scored 27 points, was 7 of 10 from behind the arc, 8 of 14 overall, had five rebounds and led the team in assists with seven dimes, career high, playoff or regular season for Marcus Smart with 27 points once again. Avery Bradley with the game winner, finished his night with 20 points, four assists, And Al Horford comes alive also in this one as he finished with 16 points and 6 assists. And the basketball world is asking, where was LeBron James? 11 points on 4-13 of from the field. Didn't score a single point in the fourth quarter. Scored only 2 points in the last 18 minutes of the game. And also finished with 6 rebounds and 6 assists and 6 turnovers. Hmm, that's a, that's a bad luck of sixes rolls right there. But Kyrie Irving finished with 29 points, 7 assists, and Kevin Love, who was uh, deadly from the outside in the first half, especially the first quarter, finished with 28 points, 10 rebounds, and 7 of 13 from behind the arc. Welcome to another episode of the Causeway Street Podcast. My name is Joel Pavone. I'll be joined later on by a special guest via phone to break down this impressive Game 3 victory by the Celtics when everybody had them dead in the water. Like I said at you the know, top of the show, awful, awful showing in Game 2 where, you know, you lose your best player. Isaiah Thomas wanted to come back but injured his hip and it looks like he's done for the playoffs. You know, despite everything that that man has been through, in the last month and a half, like you, you can't, you can't fault him. He, he, he's, he's given everything he's got to this team. So, I mean, the Celtics now have to, have to fight for him. Is the way I see it. They have to fight. They have to make this competitive, and they did that in Game Three. I can What, what else? What else can you say about Marcus Smart? Marcus Smart becomes only the third Celtics player in franchise history to finish with. At least 25 points, five rebounds, and at least five assists in a in a playoff game. And he joins the likes of Paul Pierce, who did it twice, once in 2002, and once again in 2011, and Larry Legend, baby, Larry Bird in 1986 with that stat line of at least 25 points, at least five rebounds, and at least five assists. And, again, Marcus Smart, our career night, regular season or postseason, 27 points, 7 of 10 from behind the arc. The man was fearless. He was fearless. He didn't care who was guarding him. And and how can we not bring up the last play of the game drawn up by none other than Brad Stevens, who shows once again his genius out of a timeout. With a little less than eleven seconds left, to come up with not just a a, a field goal, but they came up with a three point field goal, which wasn't even really necessarily needed, but because you wanted to kill the clock as much as possible to not give Cleveland the opportunity to tie the game up and send it into overtime, and you win for the win. That was drawn up down to a T rotating, and, and you know what? I didn't even know who that ball was even going to go to. No idea. And let's not forget my man Jonas came in for the first time in a, in a very long time, was a perfect 4-for-4 four four from the field, got in Kevin Love's face a few times, especially when he saw that Kevin was, was flopping, and he's like, cut that out. No, I'm not going to have none of that. Play like a man. Play straight up. You know what you're doing. Cut the flopping. Cut that shit out. That's Jonas Terepko for you. Don't mess with the Swedish the Swedish assassin. That's what I'm gonna call him now. The Swedish assassin. If Amir Johnson's not gonna go for game five, or he won't start for game I'm sorry, he won't start in game four. You know, Brad Brad has Jonas waiting. He's waiting to to get to pick up those minutes. Because Amir Johnson, I uh, he did injure his shoulder. After uh, Kevin Love tried to, um, I don't know, for lack of a better term, injure Amir Johnson on the similar play that uh, Kelly Olinick did to him two years ago in the first round of the 2015 playoffs. We all remember that, right? That's when uh, that's when Kelly Olinick was labeled a dirty player. And he's been stuck with that label ever since. But it's okay when Kevin Love does it. Right, that was okay, because it's not like Amir Johnson, according to uh, the basketball analyst, very important in this in this series for the Celtics. But nonetheless, I digress. So the Celtics now have an opportunity to shut up a lot of naysayers, shut up a lot of critics, because if they thought they couldn't win with Isaiah in the lineup, now with Isaiah out of the lineup, it's a whole new ball game, right? 'Cause who who is Cleveland gonna focus in now on in game four? Is it Marcus Smart? Is it A. V. Bradley? Is it Jonas Derepko? Is it Al Horford? Like that ball is not gonna just stay stagnant and and, and and Cleveland just not gonna just focus in on one player. You you can't. You can't just focus in on one player because you don't know who that go to guy is going to be come game four. Hell, Marcus gonna come up with a dud in Game Four, and he'll still be important. He'll still make an impact. At least I think, in my opinion, in in terms of fighting and making the series competitive once again. You know, after game after Game Two, I got all this this hate and all this, you know, all these questions from from so called basketball fans. Who haven't said anything to me during the playoffs. Or, or or minimal things. Or actually, you know what? After every after every Celtics loss, and the first round was after they were down 0-2. Oh, this team's supposed to be a one seed? This team is supposed to make it to the Eastern Conference Finals. You guys are not even gonna even make it out of the first round. Sweep. And then in ga- and then in the second round against the Wizards, when they lost both games in Washington. And the series was tied 2-2. It wasn't like they were even down in the series. In fact, the Celtics were either tied or they led in the series. And yet, no, the Celtics are no good. Get rid of Isaiah. He's He's not a superstar. He's not a max contract player. And then Isaiah goes off. For fifty-three on his on his late sister's birthday, and then he gets injured in Game Six, which no one knows about. He re-injures his hip that he had injured earlier in the season, and the Celtics still have a chance to win that game. On uh, on the error of the refs, not realizing that there should have been at least one more second on that game clock, and then, and after losing in Game Six in Washington, coming back home, where they haven't lost against Washington, where Washington was a completely different team at the TD Garden, but yet I get messages like, oh, nope, Celtics is done. This is, this is, this is as far as they're going to go. John Wall is a beast. Bradley Beal is going to take over. or Isaiah Thomas is not what everybody wants him to be. And then what does Isaiah Thomas do in game seven? Double-double, 29 points, 12 assists on the way to this to demolishing the Washington Wizards, and while John Wall was celebrating on the scorer's table in Game Six, he went silent when his team needed him the most. So this time around, playing it playing injured in the first two games, Isaiah Thomas right, giving all the credit only to the Cavaliers defense. Oh, Caval- he can't get through the Cavaliers defense. He's not. He's not able to get to the hoop. You know, he's five nine trade him. You guys got the number one pick now. Move on without him. And he gets injured. The Celtics shut him down. They shut him down for the rest of the playoffs. And now that the Celtics are playing more freely, they're playing like they have nothing to lose. And now, the general consensus is, you see, the Celtics can play without Isaiah Thomas. The Celtics can move Isaiah Thomas. But it's only one game, right? At the end of the day, it's only one game. But it's it's great to see the Celtics with some life. It's great to see the Celtics put up a fight. Something that you didn't see in the first two games. That's what pissed me off. Like forget the losses. You know, and and and, and we know I'm not I'm not I'm not that optimistic to to, to to think that the Cavaliers are are not the better team in the series. Obviously the Cavaliers are the better team in the series. But my whole thing and a lot of other Celtics fans and a, of, and a lot of other just basketball fans in general wanted to see at least a fight. You know, the Celtics put up a fighting chance, which is what you saw in the second half of game three. That's what was missing in the first two games. The effort, the fight, the grit, showing that, showing that you got balls to go up against the best in the world, and LeBron James, and look at the end result. Let's not let's not kid ourselves. LeBron did not respect the Celtics in game 3. He just thought that he was going to be passive. He just thought that the rest of his team was going to just take care take care of business and he just didn't have to you know, for lack of a better term, kill himself to try to take a 3-0 commanding lead in this series. And now you've let the Celtics back in. Again, I'm not saying the Celtics are going to win this series, but we've seen it time and time again when the Celtics backs are against the ropes, they'll hit you in the mouth. And just like Kyrie said in the intro, they got a slice of that humble pie. And then LeBron afterwards had nothing but good things to say about the Celtics, that they they made plays and the the Cavs didn't at the end of the day. And then Avery Bradley saying that he, you know, the Celtics trust in Brad Stevens and Marcus Smart finally believed in himself. While his teammates and his coaches always believed in him, he said, fuck it, I'm going to play like I got nothing to lose. And then Jonas, you know, caps off the evening by saying, we respected the Cavs too much in the first two games. That shit ends now. The Celtics held the Cleveland Cavaliers in the last 18 minutes and 39 seconds of game three to 31 points. 30% shooting from the field. They shot 2 of 13 from behind the arc. And LeBron James only scored one point in that span at the Celtics snap the Cavaliers' 10-game winning streak in this postseason, but 13 games overall dating back to last year's finals. Celtics would score 55 points in that span with 56% shooting and going 11 of 20 from behind the arc. Even though I'm riding solo today, but it doesn't matter because we still do our thing here at the Causeway Street Podcast. We'll talk about how the Celtics should play going forward in the series. We'll also talk about Isaiah Thomas's injury and touch upon a little bit of some options that the Celtics could potentially deal with come the offseason. And of course, we'll end... This episode, the way we do every episode of the Causeway Street Podcast, with in case you missed it, but joining me right now is Zach Peliquin, writer for the Causeway Street blog, here to break down Game Three with me. Since I'm writing Dolo for the for this episode at least, how are we doing, Zach?
1: Doing well, doing well. After uh, finally the Celtics getting a little dignity back in Game Three, so uh, honestly, it's a, I know it sounds crazy, but it's a series again, so I uh, I couldn't be happier
0: definitely definitely right must it was a must win in game three you know one could argue that it should have been a must win in either one of the first two games as well but I mean no Isaiah Thomas so the Souths really have nothing to lose right
1: well exactly I think it was a game where um in in, I'll tell you what this series Avery Bradley has shown more to me in terms of his character and his leadership with this team than I ever thought I was going to see on he's such a quiet guy by nature but um after hearing him uh, when game two came to a close and they were interviewing everyone in the locker room and just hearing the way that he was talking, I kind of knew that you were going to see a little bit different of a Celtics team coming out in game three. And with Isaiah being hurt, backs totally against the wall. And I think at at that point, the expectation for Boston had, had kind of fallen off the face of the earth. So I had a, a little bit of a feeling we were going to see a better effort. Did I think they were going to win? Absolutely not. I had no... no. <laughs> Not my wildest imagination. After watching that game two, I think they're going to be able to do it. Game three and come back. And even in the first half, I mean, this it still looked like they were in that slump and they were just scared of the Cleveland Cavaliers. And then the second half of Game three, I mean, we all know the story. We all we all watched it happen. It was absolutely perfect. It looked like the Celtics team that we've known pretty much all season long.
0: I mean, after coming off that god awful loss on Friday night in Game two. <laughs> It, it couldn't it couldn't get any worse than that. We we thought it couldn't get any worse after game one, and apparently we were wrong. <laughs> oh, 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 <laughs> or, <laughs> or most or most that were you know that are Celtics fans and most uh, and most basketball analysts were like no it can't get any worse for the Celtics after after game one. But it, it game two happened. Uh, I was talking about it earlier. Like it as a basketball fan, that was just embarrassing to watch because I I just feel oh, like yeah. I just feel like realistically we know that, you know, the, the Celtics are not going to win this series, right? That's that's the premise around the nation, around the world, for those that are, you know, hardcore basketball fans. But right. you did expect for the Celtics to put up a fight. And it took a 44-point loss to say, you know what? Our leader's down. No one has us in this series. Most people have us getting swept. So let's, let's play like we got nothing to lose now. And the end result, 21-point comeback, we saw in the last series, how, uh, especially in Game 7, where Kelly, Kelly Olenek came out of nowhere and did what he did. How about Marcus Smart? Mm-hmm. How about Marcus Smart coming out of nowhere? And so- talk about somebody that was due for a game like this.
1: Yeah, he seriously was. And it's again, it goes back to that frustration factor that these are guys that the Celtics picked over the last couple of years who we had such high hopes for when they drafted them. And, you know, hot, pretty high first-round picks. I mean, Olenek was the back end of the, uh, the trap lottery in Brad's first year. And then they got uh, Marcus all the way at number six. And, you know, these are guys that we expected to be really, if not cornerstone players, you know, approaching that level. And I hate to say it, but they've been nowhere near that. Uh, you know, Marcus has been a nice role player here and there, but he's been incredibly inconsistent throughout his career. And, you know, finally... Finally, in a game seven against the Washington Wizards, we see Kelly Olenek finally deliver on some of the promise that we have all thought that he could possibly do. It's just how consistently could he do it? And finally, we get to see him have that game, that real uh, high point and high watermark of his Celtics career. And then... Three games later, we get to see uh, Marcus Smart when the gun is to this team's head, and, and we needed uh, a performance. He goes out there and has, you know, maybe his best game as a Celtic in his career at Green so far, which was absolutely fantastic. And this is what you expect from from Marcus Smart. We don't really, you know, I don't think anyone truthfully can say, yeah, we expect him to hit seven threes. Not, you know, he's, he's never going to be that type of shooter,
0: of course. But I mean, yeah.
1: the energy he brings, the defense he, he brings, I mean. He sets the tone, and that's what it is. He can set the tone on the defensive end, and it sparks the whole entire team going forward offensively. He makes those plays where you know he'll pass off the ball, he'll be away from the offense for the entire shot clock, and he comes flying in from out of the corner, You're like, where the hell did this guy just come from? Yeah. And he had those moments where you're like, he's athletic enough, he's talented enough. I mean, the player that we saw at Oklahoma State was potentially a number one overall pick what happened to that player. And it feels like he just has not grown over the last few years. And now you get to this point where this is you know, all the models are in here. He's going into a contract year next year. And now he has a chance for the rest of this series to really be the guy. And you know, his first opportunity was unbelievable. Fantastic work from him.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think we saw a glimpse of of the Marcus Smart of uh of game three early in the season when when Isaiah was out for a little bit, I think I believe Brad Stevens yeah. he started him a couple games, and then when Avi Bradley went down, he started a few games as well. And I feel like when his back is up against the wall, that's when Marcus Smart is like, "All right, I gotta do something because like we we need something, we need a spark." And he 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 finally came through. And it's not like he was playing awful in this series because in the in the first game, I felt like he was the only one putting up like an effort to box out um Thompson and 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 make and make you know defensive plays even though there were some stupid fouls called on him that you know I, I you can't really fault him for that it's just the way the just the way the game was going but at the same time though how good well, or better question how different do the Celtics look in terms of when Isaiah's out running plays and running like just running offensive sets they put up nearly 30 assists as a team so what is it? What, in, your, in your opinion, what do you think it is? It's just them just playing freely, just going out there and just playing as a team and not worrying about anything else because at the same time, the Cavs had no game plan for this, especially when they were up 21. They're like, all right, we got this. And then all of a sudden, mm. you, got, you got players like Jonas Jarepko, Stepping up, <laughs> <laughs> don't you seen...
1: don't, don't you even dare start <laughs> in on Jonas Rebekah, right? Baby? No, 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 no. I man. love
0: I love me some Jonas. <laughs> don't get me wrong. I've been asked I've been asking <laughs> to see some Jonas since the Washington series, and I don't know how why we didn't we didn't see him sooner. But you know he stays ready, comes in, shoots four for four from the field, two clutch three pointers, like uh, like how come we can't see this? Oh, how, better question. How come we have to wait until? Your 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 season's on the line for a reaction mm-hmm. from 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 the Celtics or from Brad Stevens even because sometimes Brad Stevens looks like he's like he's he's caught like a, a deer in the headlights when it comes to certain certain games or certain certain moments especially in this series.
1: Yeah, I, I think it's a matter of that classic um, situation where when you have a player who is a go to scorer and a in such a good scorer the way that I, uh, Isaiah Thomas has done for the last two years for that matter. He's been such a go-to player that they've been able to to give the ball to him and just clear everyone out, set one screen for him, and he's automatic offense. And I think what happens with Boston is when he gets on a roll or when this team is playing well, sometimes they get a little lazy. Sometimes they just say, you know what, give Isaiah the ball; he'll go find a way to put it in the basket, which is great, uh, except for the fact when he's either a injured and out of the lineup mm. or b when he can't get to the basket the way that he wants to or when he's not shooting the way that he wants to. That's the issue that you have with the Celtics is that they don't have a lot of shot creators in terms of guys that are just going to take someone off the dribble in the ISO and be able to find basket. When they're at their best, the ball is moving all over the court. They're highly aggressive on the defensive end, which tends to lead to their offense. I think more often than not, and they're hitting their open shots. And that's that's when you see the team play really well, um, and that's what we saw in the second half of, of Game Three. Is that this team defensively caused Cleveland to just go into a tizzy? They couldn't hit shots from the outside. They didn't. They didn't even think to go to the inside. And, I mean, LeBron James and the conversation that we could have about him, I think, could last all you know all all evening. But I mean, you're 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 defensively setting yourself up to be successful on the offensive end. That intensity it just carries over and. I think what happens is once you see a guy like Avery Bradley or a guy like Jay Crowder uh, or even Kelly Olynyk or, or, or any of the big guys from the outside, they knock down a shot or two, and then you saw Cleveland start to go out at the shooters, and they were rushing after them. The thing that I really loved out of Game 2, or I'm sorry, Game 3, is we finally saw the Celtics team, because they had no other options at times, go inside to Al Horford and have the ball hit his hands in the paint. Which we don't see happen nearly enough for my liking, but we saw it happen. I say at least a dozen times in the second half of that game, where they just went straight into the post to Al Horford, and he was either making the correct pass on the opposite uh, opposite side of the court to get an open shot for someone on the other side, or he was able to get to the basket quite a few times as well. I, I thought it was a really good game for the Celtics offense to go find different ways and creative ways to put the ball in the basket. It wasn't just, you know, running that 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 weave at the top of the uh, at the top of the. Uh, up the three-point line and just calling it a day. You finally saw them try a couple of different things that were typically things that you'd see the Celtics offense run off. of. So I thought it was a, it was a really good night for for Brad Stevens and it was a really good night for the Celtics shooters to be knocking down shots, especially in the second half. First half, I mean, you, you could debate that it wasn't all too good, but I mean, it looked like the Celtics team that we've grown accustomed to, and and that was the comforting thing that we saw this, uh, out of that whole entire game three is that. It looked like the Celtics team that has some confidence, that has some fight terms, has some uh, some aggression to them, and, and that's the team that you know all, all the Celtics fans love. And it was really nice to finally see that a little bit more than than the first two games when I couldn't even recognize this team; it was terrible.
0: Yeah, I mean the the, the national consensus, the national media, I feel like since since game three, uh, since the end of game three, is they're talking about oh, LeBron had a bad game. LeBron had a bad game. LeBron was passive. Yep. LeBron didn't do anything, they didn't score in the last 16, 17 minutes uh, of the game. He went scoreless in the fourth quarter for the first time since, in the postseason, right, since uh, I think it was the 2011 NBA Finals and game, I think it was game four of that of that series. And That's all they're talking mm-hmm. about. They're not talking about the fact that the Celtics' defense was on point for the first time in this series.
1: Yeah, finally. That's a- I'll tell you what, and I know we've had this conversation a few times, and I know on Twitter it's a huge conversation piece about LeBron James, the greatest of all time conversation, and uh, Nick Wright, oh, my God, just the insufferable love that he has for LeBron James.
0: Him and him. And, uh, the reason him and people
1: yeah, – yeah, him too. Oh, my God, it's ridiculous. But what? these are the types of games that the smart basketball fan who says, LeBron's not quite there yet. These are the games that we point to, and I group myself in that. Probably, probably. Oh, error, I'm, in, I'm but, in there too. I'm in, um, in there too. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Causeway Street, firmly in that list. But yes. these are the games that we turn and point to, and say he's not the greatest of all time just because he has these types of games. And and I, all today, it was oh, Michael. Oh, like Michael never had a bad game, or you know, whomever never had a bad game. It's not that he had a bad game. It's because. LeBron James completely disengaged from this game. And at some point, I don't know when exactly, the minute that passed that it happened, but he said in his, in his head, you can see on his face, he just said, well, all right, we don't have it tonight, and just packed it in. If he was LeBron James, the LeBron James, the great LeBron James that we know, he could have turned it on to the last two minutes of this game and probably won it for them.
0: He didn't take but he over. didn't do
1: it. Mm-hmm. It, it. It makes you wonder why. What was it about this game that he thought that he could just step off of it and put in, I would say fifty percent effort. If that was what did he think was going to happen? You know, when the game started to turn the other way, why did he step in and be that great player? Because it feels like he could have at some point.
0: Yeah, I mean, he only took four shots. Ridiculous. You know, he looked completely disengaged, like you said. I don't know. He just and in the, in the, in the, in an opportunity to take over and say, "All right, you know what? This has gone far enough." Like you know, we had a twenty-one point lead. I wasn't killing myself. Everyone else was doing, you know, the, what they're supposed to do. And now it's, I guess it's my turn to, you know, take over and win this game and take a commanding 3-0 lead at home. But he, that's not what he did. And, and and it's not the first time. I don't know why everyone's so like surprised. It's not the first time we've seen LeBron be like this. So, I guess for a lack of a of a better term, he's not a killer. He's not he, you know, Charles Barkley said it on Sunday night. He said he's still chasing Kobe in his opinion. And I completely agree with that. I completely agree with that statement. He's still chasing Kobe because Kobe was a killer. Michael Jordan is a killer. Like he don't he doesn't let, you know, yeah. games like this go to waste. You know what I'm saying? Not that, you know, and I and I get the LeBron stands that are, are gonna say, Oh, it's just one game. It's just one game. He's he's entitled to have a bad game. He had won thirteen straight postseason games dating back to the finals. <laughs> It's just one game, yeah. really. I don't know. I don't know. That's a tough one. That's a tough, tough. That's a tough pill to swallow. Did you see those those Cavs fans at the end of that game? They were. They didn't know what to do. They didn't know. Then, like, I felt like, like throughout the throughout the comeback, like they they didn't even help to like try to like get behind their team. Me, you, and Sean, we talked about this before the series began that the big three of of the Cavs cannot score mm-hmm. twenty plus points. Because then exactly. it's, it's, a, it's a wrap. So Kyrie did his job, Kevin Love did his job, but LeBron was like, mm, "I think I'm, I'm, I'm going to take this this night off. I don't know. What do you <laughs> think? <laughs> I don't like to go that. I don't like to go down that road. But I just, I just you know, I, I I give credit obviously to the to the Celtics in their and their and their defense, and and the fact that their the Cavs' game plan is you know, stop Isaiah. So you have no Isaiah. You don't know who the ball's going to. Like that last play, that last play that, that Brad Stevens drew up, ridiculous. Ridiculous. And, and even I didn't know where that ball was going because you had, you had <laughs> Horford that was hot. You had Marcus Smart that was hot. And then and to, and to, and to let the clock run down from 10, from over, almost 11 seconds left, to make that shot and leave .1 left on the clock, that, you couldn't have drawn it more perfect.
1: Yeah, that was fantastic. Like I said, that was we finally got to see Brad Stevens in his prime really go out and, and make some decisions in this game. And I think that is kind of a byproduct. And I, and I don't want to say anything negative about Isaiah Thomas. He's had an MVP caliber season. He has done everything he could have possibly well, done. Of course, of course, yeah. yeah, yeah. No, and and so I'm, I'm not trying to say anything negative about him. But when he is torn away from this team, it does change the dynamic of what you see out there. And I do, I do think with Isaiah Thomas being off of the floor, it allows Brad Stevens to be a little bit more creative, and it allows him to go at this a little bit differently than he normally would, uh, because he doesn't have to run the offense through Isaiah. Now it becomes okay. Let's go through the high hand. Let's try a couple of these offensive sets that we would have normally have used if Isaiah was out there. Uh, there's a lot less isolation. There's a lot more ball movement. There's a lot more uh, multiple screens within within uh, singular plays that you're seeing two or three guys moving at one time because he knows that he can't just say, oh, Marcus, get to the rim. Because it's not going to happen. Like He can do it maybe once and again. It's not going to happen consistently, though. And that's where you see Brad Stevens' genius. You actually do uh, get to appreciate the fact that he knows how to get players open. He knows how to have offensive sets be be run and get certain players into uh, situations where they're going to get the shot that they want or at least get an opportunity to be able to get a good quality shot off. That's what we saw in the second half, and even for a good portion of the first half of uh, of Game Three. Which, yeah, you know, I mean, Brad is a great coach. You know, I I have my qualms with him because of the DeMarcus Cousins thing, because I think he had a lot to do with why he's not felt right now. But at the end of the day, <laughs> he is a very good basketball coach, and he is, uh, in my opinion, for all the coaches in the NBA right now, and maybe of the last decade, I think he gets four out of less than any other coach in the game. He knows how to take these guys and say, you know what, I know what your best skills are, and I'm going to absolutely utilize the hell out of those to make sure that you're as best as you possibly can. So, yeah, I, I think he did a great job. I think that you expect more of that. I'll be anxious to see what the, uh, what the changes that Cleveland makes in order to be able to kind of combat that. It's tough, though. They don't know where it's going to be coming from going forward. And, and I, unless Boston goes stone cold, which is entirely possible from the outside, they're going to have to respect a lot of these players in the lineup in terms of just guys who are going to take these three-point shots. So they're going to have to respect the three for Boston. And unless they like, go ice cold Boston's going to have options. They're going to be able to score points, and they're going to be able to stay in these games, I think, from here forward. The big thing for them is going to be defensively, though. We finally saw, and, and again, I hate throwing any dirt on the, the Isaiah Thomas, uh, or, you know, throwing any dirt in his face. but defensively they play a much better brand of basketball when Isaiah Thomas is off the floor they're bigger they're more physical and you see two three four guys on that perimeter who are jumping the passing lane who are creating havoc and are making it very difficult for Kyrie Irving for LeBron James for even for Kevin uh, actually Kevin Love they really have much of a hard time the other night no, not, not that's <laughs> but you much. know what I'm saying like <laughs> yeah, anyone say who it. had the ball in their hand was uncomfortable and that's where Cleveland starts to struggle. When they're not comfortable in a game, that's when they give up games. When, they, they're, when they're getting uh, physically uh, outmanned, when they're getting hacked up, they don't like that. They don't like the physical game. Can they play it? Yeah, absolutely. We've seen them do it before, but they don't want that game. I played basketball you know, for most of my life. I hated teams that I knew were going to be physical from start to end. Those are teams they just wear on you mentally, and that's what Boston thrives in. When you see Marcus Smart all over Kyrie Irving, all over LeBron James, and the same thing for Avery Bradley, the same thing for Crowder, and and even the big guys getting to the mix too, that's when you see them really thrive. And we finally saw that in Game 3 when I said, you know what, screw it. We got nothing to lose. Let's start hacking these guys. I'm Jonas Durebko. I mean. And, and oh my was, God. That was amazing. I love Jonas going into it. But that Kevin Love thing. That I was I love that. <laughs>
0: that was great. He's like, stop fucking flopping. You know what you're doing. Cut that shit out before I kick the shit out of you. I love it jonas and then kevin loves face is like what's up what's up with this guy oh oh don't mess with jonas he had nothing i know that's what i'm saying but his face his face was priceless he was like what he's like he's like what you know this is what lebron has been teaching me like come on i'm trying to do my thing here fuck you he's like (laughs) jonas that was great that was just a just the fact that the the rebounding discrepancy was, you know, in single digits between the, the Celtics and, and, and the Cavs in game three, which is yeah. always which is always great. That's something good to you got to take away from a game like this. Yeah, the Celtics ended up shooting better than forty seven percent from the field, which was crazy to think that the Cavs in the first half were shooting like sixty six percent and they ended yeah, up shooting they're, better. They're unconscious. Yeah, and it was mostly it was mostly because of Kevin Love. And let's not, let's not kid, kid ourselves. Kevin Love, this, this series for him, it's personal. It's personal after what happened two years ago with him. And it with looks Kevin like, it. It oh, like it. It
1: feels like it.
0: It's personal, big time. I can't stress enough that when, it, when everyone, you know, pitches in, um, it's like it's a, different, it's a different team. And it's a team that, 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 that like you said, that Celtics fans have, have grown to love because when you have multiple guys in double figures, when you have everybody passing the ball, you know, even in the, even in those games early in the playoffs where where Thomas, you know, Bailey scored twenty points or, or, was, or was scoring under twenty points, and they still won the game. That's how they should play now. The difference is obviously he's not he's not in the lineup, and it looks like he's out for the playoffs. So let me—I I, got to ask you this question because is like I'm gonna play devil, devil's advocate, okay? Because you, you 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 you've been hearing it, you've been hearing it ever since the conclusion of game three. Oh, are wow, the Celtics better without Isaiah Thomas? Should the Celtics consider trading Isaiah Thomas? And I got I got to hear your take on this.
1: Are they better? No. Um, Isaiah Thomas is is by far the most talented offensive player that they have. Uh, really, no question about it in my mind. Um, are they better defensively? Yes, they absolutely are. And, you know they're just bigger, they're more physical. Uh, they have the right elements. They have guys who are just, you know, to be totally honest, just better defenders than what you get from Isaiah Thomas. But on the whole, they are not a better team. And anyone who tells you that. You haven't watched enough Celtics this year. Yeah, you know, there's just mm-hmm. no way. Um, do you think about trading him? I mean, it, it seems like that's a bit of a quantum leap, you know, to go from right. you know, to scoring 50 like a week ago for you to you know to get you help you get through that Wizard series to saying, eh, ah, we don't really need him." With <laughs> that in mind, does the, does the I mean, yeah, it's kind of quick. You know, it feels like you know, we might have jumped a few a uh, few steps there on, on the way, but. In terms of trading him, though, if you look at it, I mean, I don't even want to open this conversation because there's so much uh, to, to really hash out this offseason. Yeah, this yeah, is a really important offseason for, for Danny Ainge. Um, he's got three huge components of this team that are going to be uh, free agents coming in next season. He's got possibly as many as six players on the current roster who are going to be free agents at the end of this season. Uh, he has to consider with his first overall pick and what he wants to do there. I mean, there's just so much going on um, that, you know what? It's hard to say what the right decision is. Now, if I told you that, um, you know, you say Anthony Davis became available and you had to trade Isaac Puck to get him, the answer is yes. Yeah, you you that's, would do that. That's a or I mean, you're a player of a league caliber. Yeah. So, yeah, can you trade him? Absolutely. Are you actively trying to shop him? I don't think so. I think this guy, he's, he's shown what type of player and, and what type of guy he really is. He's just made of the toughest stuff around. And, and I have, you know, the utmost respect for him. And I, and I did coming into this playoffs, but the things that he's done since the beginning of this playoffs have really solidified in my mind what type of leader he is for this team and what type of guy he is. And, you know, I, I was the first one to say, I don't want to see him getting a max contract. If somebody came for a reasonable trade, get rid of them. And I've changed my stance on that. He, to me, has, has now personified what you want from a Celtics player. With that in mind, the contract situation is going to be tough. There's no guarantee out there that they're going to be able to get something that makes sense with both sides done. That's going to dictate a lot of what we see come this summer. But in the end of the story, my bottom line, I'm not looking to trade him. But if something came along, I'd be willing to listen.
0: Okay. Okay. Yeah, I can I can live with that. I mean, only because of the way he was playing in the first two games, but then again, you know, we didn't know he was injured. We had no idea that he had you Yeah, know, true. He had we aggravated his hip injury in game six of the Wizards series, and then he came out and, and, and did his thing in game seven in that series. Yeah. So and you know, the quick turnaround, the 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 day off and then right back right you know, right back at it, playing at the garden, Eastern Conference Finals, you know, that's a lot. That's a lot of pressure, and in, in, in terms of looking at you as you're the guy, like you're 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 gonna you're gonna take this team to the to the promised land, or or at least fight for it. You know what I mean? And we weren't seeing like the explosiveness right. anymore, and we weren't we weren't necessarily seeing like the the hard nosed, gritty like Isaiah Thomas. That's like you know he was picking up technical you know fouls like like it was nothing, and <laughs> and and and, and well, I mean not just him, but other 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 players as well, and, and freaking even Brad Stevens. But but my point is. Um, something was off with him and not that I'm happy. I'm like, Oh, well at least he's injured. That was the, the whole reason because obviously the Celtics would love to have him out on the floor, but at the same time, if he's not, if he's not a hundred percent or, or close to it, hell, if he's not even like 60%, that's damaging your team. And so yeah. to, to shut him down and to have the Celtics just play, you know, balls to the wall is, I guess, I guess a guy, a guy right now, a blessing in disguise, but at, do you think you know if the Celtics extend this series? I mean, it's definitely gonna be a Game Five, so they are coming back to Boston, which is which is great news. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you see him coming back at, at any point in this series if if it, if it goes you know deep?
1: I I don't. The thing is, I don't know a ton about the injury itself. From what I've heard, it's a torn or partially torn labrum in the hip, um, which is. It's one of those injuries that if he was in the, if he was in the NFL, he'd probably play through it one way or another. They give him a few weeks and he would come back. But that's the thing. They give him a few weeks. Like he's not going to be, you know, two, three, four, five days later, just throw some ice on it and you'll be good to go. So my assumption is that he's probably done for the post, regardless of what happens. Um, and I, and I don't hold that against him. At all. I mean, this is this isn't an injury that you could just be like, yeah, whatever. I can just, yeah. uh, just, just shake it off and like go go back out and go do my thing. Especially for someone who his game is predicated off his agility. So when he makes a cut or when he makes a quick move, I'm sure that hip is probably a shooting pain right through his leg. So I can't imagine it's comfortable or it allows you to do it allows him to do what he needs to do. The board. So honestly, I would say even if there's a chance that they can get him back. They have to have a legitimate shot at winning this series. It can't just be okay. You know, they go out and they lose Game Four. They come back to Boston in Game Five. Oh yeah, let's put him out there. I mean, he needs to think about yeah. himself as well because yeah, we're talking, like we said, he's going into the last year of a contract and he has a legit shot at being able to make, you know, if not max money, you know, twenty plus, twenty five plus million dollars a year. And you know, be, punting on that opportunity, I think would be very risky. And even though he's a competitor, I'm sure he wants to be out there. Uh, it just seems to make more sense for him to kind of close up shop, uh, get better for next season, and uh, give it another run for him.
0: Voted All-NBA second-team honors. What do you think, well-deserved? Mm-hmm. Oh, my God, yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, we've been talking about him all year long as a top-five MVP guy. And if he was any other position, he would have had a shot to get into that team and possibly be an MVP for that matter. Um, yeah, I mean, what, what a year. What a year. I mean, you go back through the chronicles of great, Seasons since our lifetimes as Celtics fans. This might be the best single season we've seen for, for an individual player, uh, you know, since we've been Celtics fans. He's been unbelievable. You know, top of the league in scoring or one of the top scorers in the league. The game-winning shots, the fourth quarters that he had, unbelievable. This is a that's going to go down as, as one of the great ones in Celtics history and well-deserved for him.
0: Yeah, I mean, with, with, all, with all this, you know, with the Celtics grabbing a number one pick, and obviously what we saw at the beginning of this series, you know, I, I just I had to bring I had to bring that up because it's been it's a it's an interesting topic. Not that I agree with it in terms of, you know, going forward with you know the you know, with plans. There's, there's gonna be like you said, this is gonna be a big off season for uh for the Celtics and for Danny Age and company. So, you know, you, yeah. you, you do you you do wanna consider all options here. And I know for me personally I, I I I wouldn't want Isaiah to go. I would love for him to be a part of the future. The injury, I don't know how serious it is. Uh, it sounds pretty serious, but you know they're talking about he might have surgery that they won't know yet until later this week. He'll be reevaluated if they want to extend the series, not because they hope that he comes back, but just extend the series for just the season that they've had and 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 kind of like honor. Isaiah in some kind of way, and just like you know, he did it. He did it for them, so it's like let's do it for him, let's do it for him type of thing. That'd be great. But at the yeah. beginning, before the series started, I had the Celtics losing in six. But well, like we've been saying before, like if they, if if they lose in six games, that's not too shabby of a season for for the for the Celtics. Who no one had being the number one seed, let alone going all the way to the Eastern Conference Finals against the uh, Cleveland Cavaliers. What do you think going forward? How do you see this playing out?
1: It's going to be tough uh you have to figure that lebron james is going to re-engage in this series and actually give a shit um so i, I would assume game five you're going to or i'm sorry game four you're going to see the best version of this cleveland cavaliers team that you can with that said the momentum is now with boston firmly with boston and i think these players are finally starting to say hey we've beaten these guys in the past we just beat them the other night there's no reason we can't win a couple more games. There's no reason that we can't be very competitive in this series going forward. And I think they will. I think, uh, you know, game four, if I'm the Celtics, Brad Stevens has already shown that he can find a way to get these players open. He can find a way to get open shots for a lot of these different players in areas of the court that they want to get shots off of. So I think that's, you know, you're all set on that end of the court. Defensively, the only tweak I would make is, quite honestly, you have to have a second layer of defense when LeBron James and Kyrie Irving have the ball. You just have to. And we haven't really seen anyone behind that person who's defending or has the ball. Because if they isolate LeBron James and they put Marcus Smart or James Crowder or or Avery Bradley or anyone on him, they're going to have one person, Cleveland's going to have one person come over and set a screen, and they're going to try to attack the big. And if LeBron James gets two or three good, solid, strong steps towards that big man, he'll pass them every time. And it's no disrespect to the big guy. It's just he's that good when to get to the rim. So you have <laughs> to have a secondary layer of defense that's been behind, which means Kelly O'Linick, Tyler Zeller, uh, whether it's Jonas Jerebko or any of these big guys, even if they have to over over and, and just foul him and not allow him to get the shot up, make him from the foul line. I mean, we're talking about a guy who shot 67% from the line this year. But why not put him on the line a little bit more? Make him earn a few more of these instead of getting to the and getting the end one, and getting all these uh, easy opportunities. Um, but that's thing I think that they can do a lot better, especially with LeBron James. Uh, they really need to do it in game three, but I guarantee you game four, he's going to be going whole and He's going to be going after the rim all game long. So that's one of the big things. The other thing is Boston needs to be more assertive when the ball was up in the air. And I think they've done a much better job about it this series than what we saw against Washington. But Tristan Thompson, for as, as good a player as he is, and I have a lot of respect for him as a player, even though I think he's got a little bit of a chip on his shoulder this, this series, I have no idea where it came from. But you need to find a way to get a little bit more physical with him, and not in the sense of like trying to start a fight, but get in front of him. Stop letting the dude get straight underneath the yeah. basket and get these easy mm. But like, yeah. He's not a good enough offensive player to be scoring 20 points a night. He's yeah. just not. He doesn't have a jump shot. He, he, I don't know how he shot as well as he did at the line, but you're talking <laughs> about a 50% free throw shooter. Like, Why the hell is this guy having high teams and low 20s in points? There's no reason for it. And I mean, shout out to Dutra. He's 100% right on that. Yeah. You know, he's yeah. 100% right on that. It's Tristan the offensive. Thompson, yeah, getting the offensive under the basket boards. and just ripping down every board he wants to. Yeah,
0: yeah. Well, I mean, there's silver lining in that aspect of the offensive boards that they, uh, they they cancel each other out. They each team had 11 offensive rebounds in in game three, but yeah. you're right though. Thompson can't. I, you're right. I don't understand how Thompson's getting 20 points or near 20 points. You know, he's been a double double machine in this so far through the through the first three games. It's that's that's like a, it's easier said than done. But and for 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 game four, Amir Johnson, uh, ironically enough, uh, his shoulder he had a you know a little. Little shoulder pain after uh, Kevin Love decided to try to yank it, yank it out at <laughs> the first quarter. I mean, he didn't yank it out, yeah. but it, it looked like he tried to yank it out. Ironically, after you know Kelly Olenek <laughs> did it to him two years ago, but that's not a dirty play, right? No, not only when Kelly does it, it's a dirty play. No, 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 of
1: course not. <laughs> <laughs> so he,
0: he's he's been listed as day to day, Amir Johnson. Uh, if he if yeah. it doesn't go, who do you start in that fifth spot?
1: That's a it's a good question. Um, it's tough to say, and I, in Brad Stevens we trust, I'll start with that. I think whoever he puts out there is probably the right call. I personally, looking at the, uh, the lineup, the way it's set up, I would say you either go with Tyler kind of Zeller and do the same exact thing that you've done with um, with Amir Johnson, where you basically play in the first couple of minutes, mm-hmm. see how things are going, yeah. and, and use his length to try to deter some of those shots into the basket, yeah. or... You gotta go with Jim, brother there you go baby he that's what something. i was waiting for <laughs> that's
0: the answer I was looking for that's the answer i was looking for because you got another shooter out there you got another you yep. got another uh another big that will 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 put whoever he's defending on in you know on the line because he's he's a gritty dude when it comes to defending like yep. he doesn't you know people don't praise him enough obviously because he doesn't play enough minutes some at you know at times but you know when he's been called upon especially in the postseason like he 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 does he does what he does like and Jonas is always ready so yeah I, if I had to pick someone to 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 start in game four if if Amir's not ready to go Jonas baby put and insert Mister Jonas right in there the Swedish <laughs> Swedish the Swedish assassin put him in there
1: yeah I mean he's he's he plays tough and he seems to like the limelight of course So why the heck not
0: well he's Zach Peliquin Causeway Street blog writer find his articles up on the on our home page and i think we're talking about it earlier about the uh, decision that Danny age is going to have to make whether it's this offseason mm-hmm. or next offseason you know he just put up a piece on that so look for that on causewaystreetblog.com pelly where can they find you on the internet twitter
1: yeah twitter is usually good to get me uh at otw sports radio uh probably the only place actually <laughs> well, he lo- he's, you're, that, also, yeah. you're
0: also live tweeting during the games which is always good so you know i love that i love that back and forth banter that he has with the causeway street twitter as well that's always great <laughs> you did predict always. you did say Celtics in six after game three got a lot of love off of that tweet so that's always good <laughs> had to retweet that real quick but oh, zach, yeah. zach always a pleasure man thanks for stopping by and we'll talk soon. Uh you know, I think I think this might this might go a little further than a lot of people, you know, are giving the Celtics credit for. So let's see. Let's see the fight. Sure. Let's see the grit and ball Celtics that that we all love.
1: Love it, man. Love it. Hopefully we can see this thing get to uh get to six, maybe seven. There you go.
0: Come girls. back to Boston and and anything goes when it, when that when that happens, right? Game seven, that's exactly. That's where it's at. All right, Zach, man. I appreciate it, man. We'll talk soon.
1: All right. Thanks.
0: Later, bro. Now it's time to put a bow on this episode of the Causeway Street Podcast the way we do with every episode. With in case you missed it, in case you missed it. No, after the Celtics' phenomenal game three win on Sunday night, ESPN's BPI has the Celtics' chances of winning Game four at twenty nine percent. Ooh, that's harsh. I mean, the Cavs, even though they haven't lost in quite a while in the postseason, usually after a loss they come back. Pretty strong. But with this new attitude that I, that that the Celtics displayed in the second half of Game 3, who knows, right? Let's see what happens. In case you missed it, for Game 4, Amir Johnson is listed as day-to-day. It will be a game-time decision after Kevin Love injured Amir Johnson's shoulder in Game 3. And for the Cavaliers' side, Deron Williams was not at Tuesday morning shoot-around. It's feeling under the weather, and it's probable for tonight's Game 4. In case you missed it, the Golden State Warriors have reached their third consecutive NBA Finals by sweeping the San Antonio Spurs in four games after a 129-115 win in San Antonio on Monday night. Puts the Warriors now at 12-0 and this postseason as they await the winners of the Cavaliers and Celtics. This is only the third time in the uh, Greg Popovich era that his team has been swept by an opponent in the Western Conference Finals. Obviously, this will be Durant's second appearance in the NBA Finals, his first time since 2012. Speaking of the Warriors, Coach Steve Kerr's status is still up in the air if he'll coach in the Finals. So Mike Brown will continue his duties right now as the interim head coach of the Warriors as they uh, look to win their first NBA championship since 2015. In case you missed it, this week marks on May 21st, the 45th birthday of the greatest rapper of all time, the Notorious B.I.G. Rest in peace and shout out to, to the Bad Boy family. This, in case you missed it, short and sweet, is brought to you by the CLNS mobile app. Make sure you download to your Android or your Apple device for the best sports coverage on the internet, especially when it pertains to the city of Boston. You can listen to the Causeway Street podcast on there if you haven't already. That's the C-L-N-S mobile app. You can also follow us on social media, including Instagram, Snapchat, Facebook, and Twitter, all at Causeway Street. And that's it for
1: In Case You Missed It.
0: And big shout out to the founder and beat Rider for Causeway Street, Josue Pavone. He is his 29th birthday today, so shout out, little brother, to you. Hope you enjoy yourself, and who knows, maybe the Celtics will give you a birthday gift. Make sure you head over to CausewayStreetBlog.com for all your coverage of the Eastern Conference Finals. Uh, we mentioned it earlier, Zach has a piece up there about some potential options for... Uh, Danny H to consider this offseason when it comes to his uh, guard situation and the NBA draft. And and who knows? Who knows how the rest of the series is going to go? But like I said at the top of the show, I believe it's going to be much more competitive. So let's hope for that because the Golden State Warriors are going to be hanging out and chilling, waiting for the, the outcome of this series. Thanks again to Zach Pellegrin for checking in. Make sure you follow him on Twitter at otw sports radio subscribe to the Cosway street podcast on itunes you can rate us check us out on all podcast outlets as well until next time my name is joel Pavone. we'll talk to you soon peace